Well, good evening once again. Um, it is like the tropics outside. Maybe not that bad, but I feel like it. We, um, it really is such a blessing to be here in the house of the Lord. <clears throat> when Brother Tawan started to worship, he was saying, you know, today's Wednesday and how wonderful it is that we can be here, how needed it is. And it really is. That really, um, every Wednesday, it's the middle of the week, and we get to come here. And it doesn't matter, the wonderful thing, it doesn't matter the conversations that took place before we got here, you know, Monday, Tuesday, and even today. The, uh, the worries and concerns that we have as human beings and just jobs and families, and we can come here and let it go and just give it over to the Lord worship Him, grow in Him. I really love Wednesdays. <clears throat> Tonight, we are going to be in the book of Proverbs. I'm going to try and do this and not sweat on my glasses. That was actually planned a couple of weeks ago, if you remember. The Lord had other plans, and we're not going to get in the way of the Lord. So tonight, we get to spend some time together in Proverbs 29, to be exact. We have um, two more Proverbs to go, Proverbs 30, which will take place in a couple of weeks. Dr. Russ will be teaching that, and then we'll close things out in Proverbs 31. Pastor Tim will close things out for us in this Proverbs series, and that will come, be coming in the coming months or so. Six weeks, probably. So let's dive in. There's a lot to cover this evening. I've titled our time this evening, His Word, A Lesson for Us. His Word, A Lesson for Us. And just a little bit of background with Proverbs and um, kind of the foundation. We don't have time to read all of the verses. I encourage you, though, that when you leave here tomorrow, today, tomorrow, go back and read all of Second Chronicles chapter 1 and 1 Kings chapter 4, because it gives us some insight into Solomon, his relationship with God, and all of that. We're going to read a couple of those verses, or some of those verses now. 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verses 7 through 12 says, On that night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask, what shall I give you? Solomon said to God, you have shown great mercy to David, my father, and have made me king in his place. Now, O Lord, God, let your promise to David, my father, be established. For you have made me king over a people like the dust of the earth in multitude. Kind of gives you an idea of the amount of people that Solomon had under his rule. Now give me wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people for who can judge this great people of yours. Something to call out here is what do we hear a lot of times in today's society about teams or corporations? It's my people, my team. I went out and I did this with my people. It's my soldiers. Solomon 
understands that the people, he said, this people, your people. He understands the, the significance of the people that the God has entrusted to him. It's not his people, it's God's. Then God said to Solomon, because this was in your heart, you have not asked for riches or wealth or honor or the life of your enemies, nor have you asked for long life, but have asked wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may judge my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you, and I will give you riches and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings have had who were before you, nor shall any after you have the like. And then if you go to 1 Kings chapter 4, verses 29 through 34, it says, And God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding, Largeness of heart like the sand of the seashore. You see this. Great leaders need a great heart. Compassion. Grace. Giving goes into great leadership. Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all men of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all men. Than Nathan and Ezrite, Heman, Kokal, Drada, the sons of Mahol. And his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs. His songs were 1,005. Also he spoke of trees from the cedar tree of Lebanon, even to the hyssop that springs out of the wall. He also spoke of animals and birds and creeping things and fish and men <clears throat> of all nations. For all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. So when we think about this great wisdom that was bestowed upon Solomon for the reason to rule God's people, when we think of this book Proverbs, do we think of it as just a book of sayings, some common sense pieces of advice? What is our interpretation of Proverbs? It's none of those things. It's truth. It's example, biblical example. And it helps us and shows us where our heart is in relation to our walk and as a follower of Christ. It's wisdom and truth, and it's something that we must believe in. We need to cling to and apply it in our lives every day. We can trust in these words when we're weak, relish in them when we're filled with praise and thanksgiving, or share them to encourage those around us. Proverbs are these things, and there's so much more. So again, we're going to be looking at Proverbs 29. We are going to read 29 in its entirety, but we are going to only dive into maybe four or five verses, depending on what, how much time we have. But before we do that, before we read the word, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so grateful that we can be here this evening. We thank you for just this opportunity that we get to worship you. 
We get to sing your praise. We get to pray. We get to hear your word. And Lord, I pray that you would anoint me. I would pray that you would anoint those that are hearing. But Lord, it's not me that is speaking. It is you that is speaking through me. I pray, Lord, I would just be used as a willing vessel. But Lord, that it would be you that we hear from this evening. We thank you once again, and we pray, Lord, that we would leave this place changed and more in love with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you haven't already, please open your Bibles to Proverbs 29. If you don't have one, you can put one in your hand and you can keep it. Proverbs 29. He who is often rebuked and hardened his neck will suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. Whoever loves wisdom makes his father rejoice. But a companion of harlots wastes his wealth. The king establishes the land by justice. But he who receives bribes overthrows it. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. By transgression, an evil man is snared, but the righteous sings and rejoices. The righteous considers the cause of the poor, but the wicked does not understand such knowledge. Scoffers set a city aflame, but the wise men turn away wrath. If a wise man contends with a foolish man, whether the fool rages or laughs, there is no peace. The bloodthirsty hate the blameless, but the upright seek his well-being. A fool vents all his feelings. You ever met somebody that says, oh, I just wear my feelings on my shoulder? It's not a good place to be in. A fool vents all of his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. For ruler pays attention to lies, all his servants become wicked. Think about that one for a second. For ruler pays attention to lies, all his servants become wicked. Turn on the news. The poor man and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. The king who judges the poor with truth, his throne will be established forever. The rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. When the wicked are multiplied, transgression increases, but the righteous will see their fall. Correct your son and he will give you rest. Yes, he will give delight to your soul. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. But happy is he who keeps the law. A servant will not correct by mere words, for though he understands, he will not respond. Do you see a man hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. He who pampers his servant from childhood will have him as a son in the end. An angry man stirs up strife, and a furious man abounds in transgression. A man's pride will bring him low, 
but the humble in spirit will retain honor. Whoever is a partner with a thief hates his own life. He swears to tell the truth, but reveals nothing. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Many seek the ruler's favor, but justice for man comes from the Lord. An unjust man is an abomination to the righteous, and he who is upright in the way is an abomination to the wicked. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes, our ears, and our heart. Speak to us now, Lord. Mold us and shape us in accordance with your will. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Let's look at something here before we start breaking down each of these, well, some of these verses, not each of these verses. They'll be here for a long time. This is still the word of God. This is Proverbs. Most of Proverbs are written by Solomon, but it's still the word of God. So I want to ask something. In our everyday life, our everyday walking with the Lord, when we're studying the Word, what's our practice? Our methodology when spending quality time with the Lord. In other words, what is our habit when we study the Word of God? Do we read it daily? verse or two, maybe a chapter or more. Maybe every couple of days we read a couple of chapters, try to catch up for the days lost. Once a week we read the word, maybe with a daily devo. Once a month. Still in the package. Still at the store. All right, there's only one answer here. And when we do read the word, do we read it like a book where we occasionally turn open a dictionary to look at a word or a phrase that we, we don't understand? Do we think of the Bible as a textbook that we use in school, in college? We probably remember somebody or know somebody now who says, I hate reading. I haven't opened a book since I was made to in school. Not everybody likes to read. But what about the Word of God? How do we approach something that's so pure and perfect? So I want to give you a little reminder of what we have in our hand right now. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So all scripture is given by God. It's profitable. It's used for correction, instruction, righteousness, and it completes and equips every man and woman for every good work that the Lord would have. John 17, 17. Sanctify them by your truth, your word is truth. 
So the Word of God provides sanctification. It is truth. So spoken and written, it's pure. And it's the truth that sanctifies us. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So the word of God is a lamp, it's a light. The word reveals his path that he's laid out for each of us, his way, his will. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and the joints of marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So the word of God is living, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, and it has the ability to discern the thoughts and intents of each of our hearts. Matthew 4.4 4. He answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So it is food for our soul. It's life. You know, Jesus told us that if we drink from the water he provides, that we won't thirst again. So his word is our daily provision. I'm going to skip over some of these in the interest of time. Isaiah 48. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. The word is timeless. It stands forever. And if it stands forever, it always was and always will be. And there's only one that matches that description. And then in reference to some will statements about the word of God. Isaiah 55, 11, So shall my word be that goes forth by my mouth. It shall not return to me void. But it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the things for which I sent it. So it will go forth. It will never return void. It will accomplish what God has set forth, and it will prosper. And nothing can stop it. And there is so much more that we could look at in just what the Word of God is. But we don't have time. And this is just a small taste of what we have in our hands and how important it is that when we look at this book of Proverbs or any other book, again, I ask, how do we read it? Is it a newspaper? A book for entertainment? Or do we read it and begin to peel back the layers, infinite layers that the Word has for us? And do we pray, seeking God, asking God, speak to me, open my eyes to the things that I'm reading. Have your way with me. May your will be done. Do we ask this when we pray, when we ask, when we read? And then where do we even begin to dive in? There's so much here. We can choose any word or thought and start asking ourselves, what does that actually mean? How does that apply to me? What does that mean for me? And we know that when we read a verse, it has a general meaning, right? Pastor Tim says the word of God is an arrow that can hit multiple targets at the same time. I don't know if you coined that phrase, but I love it. So how do we approach it? 
What is it really saying to us? And when we read that general statement, sure it means that, but what else? What else does it mean? What is the Lord saying? So if we've never approached the Word of God like that, just I encourage you, start. It's not just a book. It's not just a newspaper. We don't just read it. We study the Word. And we ask God to do His perfect work. And what I think has taken place over time, unfortunately, is I think we have, in our walk, I think we've um, lost some of the fear and reverence that we should have for the Lord. And it's because it's so easy for us to get our hands on the Bible. With a show of hands, and not that we need to show our hands, but probably each of us has four, five, six Bibles at home. Probably a couple in the car. I think we forget what our brothers and sisters go through for a single Bible. Even some verses to trade back and forth. And what takes place if this Bible is found. So we pray that we change our hearts in this manner. Treat it very serious. And pray that he instills that sense of wonder that we should have for his word. Amazement. And so when you're reading the word, just really quick, if you come across something you don't understand, what do we do? Do we stop? Just kind of gloss over it, keep going? Nope. Pray. Dig in. Take out all your reference material. Ask a leader. There's so much we can do. Ask what the actual meaning is to be revealed. And so tonight I want to do a little bit of that when we go through these verses. I'm going to go through three, four, five verses, whatever time we have for and start peeling some of those layers back. How does, how does it apply to us? What do we see in our current kind of situation around the world? And what does the Word of God tell us? I think we probably have 20, 25 minutes or so left. We can do some of this. So verse 1. He who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed and without remedy. So when we start to break these verses down, we understand that this pertains to a person, right? It can't be about God because he doesn't need to be rebuked and who would do it? So it has to be a person. And that first word is rebuked, this sharp disapproval or criticism as defined by some online dictionary. It's to be corrected. Some versions say reproved. It always good idea to use a couple of good, accurate versions so we can see the word usage. But the word reprove is to scold or correct and usually means in a gentle or with kindly intent. And so in our job, we may hear similar terms. Feedback, constructive criticism, although probably constructive criticism isn't used anymore because to, criti to, to criticize somebody would be to criticize somebody and that's bad. But given, this is given usually to gently teach or push in the right direction or to learn a certain behavior, steered toward a certain goal. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. And so what happens if somebody receives this rebuke and they strong arm it? I don't want that. I don't care what you say. 
And so they get rebuked again because they continue doing the same thing over and over again. What happens? What do we see? Well, we, they start to harden their, right? They get a stiff neck, harden their heart. We know that hardening of the neck, or the stiffing of the neck, means that the person over time grows more obstinate, more rebellious, and perverse in their actions. And they harden their heart to anything that would be used to point them in the right direction. And possibly eventually becoming blind to the very thing or very person who can help them. And maybe it's the only one who can help them. And then this verse tells us that when somebody does this, they will suddenly be destroyed and without remedy. Their destruction will be swift and with no way to make it right. Similarly, similarly in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 to 3, it tells us, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them, as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Why? Why does that take place? Because rebuke is what is provided when we step out of line. Rebuke is grace. And if we reject grace, eventually we're left to our own outcome, whatever that may be. Remember Romans 1.24? Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. God loves us all. But we also have free will to reject the rebuke. And that will cause our own destruction. And he will allow us to do so. Verse 25 of that same chapter tells us, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. So this takes place because we choose, it's our choice, to exchange the truth of God for the lie of the world or the enemy. And we see this every single day, day in and day out, and it's getting worse and worse. Why does this happen? Pride? Greed? Hatred? Influence from the world? A combination of these things and other things? Our flesh? One of the greatest examples of this in the Bible is Pharaoh as he interacted with Moses and Aaron to the point where Pharaoh's pride, his hatred and bitterness consumed him. And he paid with his life. But not just the life on this earth, which is very short-lived. The Bible tells us it's but a vapor. But more importantly, an eternity of damnation. And it doesn't just apply to leaders of nations. Think about how it applies to us at home. Think about the number of people that Pharaoh took with him to destruction. We can do the same thing in our homes. Think about the responsibility we have as husbands and wives 
fathers, husbands, we have a great responsibility. This isn't necessarily just for dads or men, but we're supposed to be the pastors and leaders and shepherds of our own homes. Think about the responsibility we have for our wife and our children. Jesus loves children. Matthew 18, 6, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. We have to heed that warning. So don't resist the rebuke when it comes. Embrace it. Love it. Praise the Lord for it. Thank Him. Because it's grace and it's love and it's what's going to help us grow in His grace to better ourselves, to better lead those around us, our families, our friends, and to be a better light and a witness for Him. Ah, there's the verse. There's the next one. Proverbs 29, verses 5 through 6. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. By transgression, an evil man is snared, but the righteous sings and rejoices. So this verse can either be read separately or together. Either way would be fine. However, when we read them together, they are bound by the same issue. A trap or a snare with the intention to do harm or exploit. Flattery in this context isn't what you would do when you genuinely want to give somebody flattery for a job well done. Those are things that somebody deserves. Flattery in this verse is given with the intent for something in return. For those that provide it want to gain something. They want to manipulate they want to use, they intend harm. And in doing so, when they give that flattery, they lay those traps down for the people, for his neighbor. A lot of times, though, when this takes place, we can read in other Proverbs, when they lay that trap down, they are the ones that are ensnared. Now, they may catch some people. A lot of people can see it. They know People can tell. So the trap that is laid down, even in this manner, who it really harms is the person laying it down. People tend to think more highly of themselves. We do too, in a prideful way. We all do that once in a while. If you meet anybody that tells you different, there you go. But so there's this, we have a tendency in this verse to take advantage of weaker people. People that we have deemed lesser. Be sure that we don't do these things. Don't lay snares. If you genuinely want to give somebody flattery, do so for the right intent with the right heart. Don't do something for gain. The rest of the verse says, for the, the righteous sings and rejoices. They sing and rejoice because they see the truth. 
They have discernment from the Holy Spirit. We are free and not stuck in that place where we feel we need to lay a snare to trap somebody for something. We're free of that. God already, Jesus already died on the cross for that. He overcame sin and death. And we rejoice because of what Jesus did. And they sing rejoice because we know how God good is, how good God is. I read Zephaniah 3.17. It says, The Lord your God in your midst, the Mighty One, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Isn't that beautiful? We sing and rejoice because of His righteousness. And in return... He sings and rejoices over us. But he did that first, right? We love because he first loved us. I love that. Let's take a look at another verse. Verse 8. Scoffers said a city of flame, but wise men turn away wrath. Scoffers said a city of flame. Such a true statement. Let's ask though, what is a scoffer? It's defined as a person who mocks or makes fun of someone or something, often of a religion or moral value. That is a scoffer. How often in our lives do we encounter this from our own friends and family, specifically about our walk with Christ? All the time, for many of us. Not full-blown persecution, but mocking, scoffing, making fun of. How often did Jesus experience this? All the time. His entire ministry. Even the while on the cross, before the cross, on the cross, after the cross, scoffers. But scoffing, many times, turns to full-blown persecution and violence. 2 Peter 3, 1-4 says, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. You know, Pastor Tim has started this past Sunday, he started the prophecy series. Second Peter, or Peter in this case, says, Scoffers will come in the last days. And we see this. The scripture starts off with scoffers set a city aflame. You may remember in recent news in Portland, Oregon, during a protest over equal rights, I suppose, there was a large group of citizens that were in protest over the things that took place. Protest itself is wonderful. It's a wonderful right that we have. But they weren't protesting 
in a civil way, they were lighting cars on fire and lighting buildings on fire, hurting people. And in their protest, when they were lighting the city aflame, they also started to light Bibles on fire. So this is certainly happening today. Stirring everybody up. Now, understanding that this, depending on your version, they may say something slightly different. But it all means mocking, to stir up a city, to get everybody riled up. So that was absolutely taking place. But in this case, in the New King James Version, it says, Scoffer City, a city of flame, and they were. Literally setting it aflame. The Word of God happening right before our very eyes. In the last four or five weeks, I think it's been now, again in Portland, there was a gathering of Christians who were participating in an outdoor prayer vigil. And armed Antifa members came and started pushing them around, physically pushing them around, hitting them. And they began to mock them. Remember what we read? The members of Antifa were saying, where is your God now? Prophecy unfolding literally before our very eyes. And this is happening today in the United States, full-blown persecution. And this is just the beginning. So again, the prophecy series that Pastor Tim has started couldn't have come at a better time. God's timing is perfect because we literally see these things take place. Revelations 1 Verse 3 tells us, Blessed is he who reads and hears those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it. For the time is near, and it is very near. And I think it's probably far closer than we want to imagine. But again, we know these things must come. We see them in the word. This mocking and persecution, these things must take place, and they are. And so in response to this, when these things take place, when they happen, what do we do? What is our response to the mocking, to the persecution? How do we react? Let's look at verse 8 for that. But wise men turn away wrath. We are able to be wise because we're filled with the Holy Spirit. So we respond with hearts of compassion. Have you ever noticed if you're having a disagreement with friend or a loved one, spouse, and you, there's something that was said that was probably not as pleasing to the Lord as it should be? Our response typically is not good. It's probably a little bit worse. And then that response is worse and then worse, and it just grows and it grows. But if our response is with love, very different things can take place. It can calm the situation, right? It gives us a chance to take a breath, to pray together. Healing can begin. Repentance can begin. So we should never act or react in the flesh. Can you imagine what would take place if those Christians turned around and started fighting 
these armed people. Nobody got hurt in that scuffle because they responded with compassion. Proverbs 15.1, soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. A wise man turns away wrath. And again, there's only one true source for that wisdom. Let's look at one last area. We'll do this rather quickly. Our time is drawing near, both prophetically and tonight. Verse 13. Poor man and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. So just to quickly look at this one, when we think about two completely opposing things, we don't normally associate them with having something in common. Take Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Joseph Mengele. Dietrich, a pastor during the Second World War who lost his life because he wouldn't water down or change what the Word of God is or says. He wouldn't bend on the gospel. And he wouldn't bend on the believer's responsibility with it. Joseph, or Joseph, a doctor who was during the war also, he performed unspeakable things on mostly Jewish people. So you couldn't have two more different people. But the only thing in common they had was they lived during the same time. But different in every other way. But with God, there is commonality. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both men. When you look at this verse, the Lord gives light to the eyes of both men, many people think it's a general phrase that's holding the knowledge of God that reveal himself to any person. Right? This is true. Others will say, no, that verse means he will light the path of a believer, revealing his will, and even referencing maybe Psalm 119, 105 that we read earlier, a lamp to his feet. Some say this verse means that in creation, we all, regardless of where we are living, are designed to understand things at a conscious level and even at a subconscious level. We inherently know things that are wrong. Even if no one told us, we still know. In other words, if given two choices, we're going to make the right choice. We're designed to make the right choice. Not in this world, God's design is different. Others say, no, this verse is referencing the meaning of the phrase to give light means to say to give life or sustain life. All are true. If Pastor Tim would say, yes, every single one of these things is true. It doesn't matter two different people, two people, anywhere they are at any time, all of those meanings for this verse are true. But that doesn't mean that because of that light that all men will go to heaven. Some people may say that. You may run into people witnessing to them, what about this verse? That doesn't mean that at all. Philippians 2.10 that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven 
and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. That doesn't mean, though, that if you are Muslim or Jewish or Taoist or Buddhist or any other religion, you must be a born-again Christian. You must know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Because even though it says every tongue should confess, every knee will bow, it simply means that everybody will come to realize that Jesus is the Lord. And non-belief of these things doesn't make it untrue. It doesn't automatically stop it and say this doesn't apply to me because I don't believe that book is true. Every knee, every tongue, unbelief has nothing to do with it. Unfortunately, in an unbelief state, when you hear that and when you see that and when you make that realization, it's too late. Jesus Christ is the only way. Make no mistake. It's about all the time we have tonight. But looking at tonight, we quickly went over four or five verses. We read the book of Proverbs 29 in its entirety. But we only looked at, you know, started to begin peeling the layers back of a couple of verses here. Asking what is the word telling us? How do we apply it? What is our natural tendency for certain things? For it. But even though we didn't go into all the other verses, it doesn't mean that there was nothing there, right? The word doesn't return void. So we can read those verses. It doesn't return void. But how, think about how much richer and deeper that the word is when we start to look at it and start to study it and start to peel it back. You know, one of the beauties of this church is the fact that it's verse by verse teaching. And so we see this every single Sunday and most Wednesdays where Pastor Tim will read a verse he starts to break it down. But do we do that same thing in our home? Or do we just read and hope for an explanation later? We can apply that same type of thinking in our own walk, our own life. And I pray that we do. Truly starting to peel back those layers and allow the relationship with Christ to grow. The, um, you know, we can... Renew our mind. The Bible talks about that. Re renewing of our mind, Romans 12, verses 2 and 3. But he does that. He renews our mind through his word. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time we've had together, opening your word together. I pray, Lord, that if there's anything that was said tonight, Lord, that uh, was revealing to somebody, if it revealed an area where we were disobedient in, Lord, I pray that these things would be laid at your feet. I pray for forgiveness. I pray for, repent for repentance. And I pray for a washing and renewing, Lord. Thank you that we could hear, be in this place openly and freely.
And I pray, Lord, that each of us continue to think about the verses that were read tonight, meditating on them, seeking you, asking, how do these things apply to me in my life, in my walk? And God, even asking you, what is your will? That we would remove ourselves, Lord, and allow you to do your perfect work in each of us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this evening. We thank you for your Holy Spirit filling this place. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.